This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. The Canadian dollar, jumping right into something a little more serious. The Canadian dollar is, as I said right off the top, is on its strongest run since 1970. Yesterday, the Canadian dollar hit 76.66 cents. It's not obviously the highest that it's reached since 1970. That was probably a decade, I guess, ago now when it eclipsed the American dollar. But it's seemingly on a strong, good run. Well, today, CIBC's chief economist says, well, don't get too comfortable with this because the Canadian dollar, the loonie, could plunge to as low as 65 cents U.S. by the end of the year. On the one hand, you've got optimism. The other hand, you've got pessimism. Are you confused? Good. I am too. I don't have a clue what's going on with this. Seems to me that when things are going well, that's a good sign, but apparently not. That's just a warm-up for looming disaster. I don't know. Uh, So I don't know why all this is happening, but I do know, I believe anyway, that it has something to do with what's going on south of the border. It has something to do with the new president. And I know somebody who can actually explain this. That would be Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business, who we bring on every time we have something we don't understand economically. And he joins us now. Marvin, how are you tonight? I am fine. Thank you, Scott. The Globe and Mail today, talking about the dollar, said the loony is at the mercy of Donald Trump's first 100 days. Why is that? Well, I'm going to come at your question slightly differently, if you don't mind, Scott. I think of you as a wonderful journalist. You've worked at the spec for many years. But I'll be stereotypical for a moment, and I'm going to say I also think of you as a sports journalist. And you may be aware of something in the world of sports journalism called the announcer's curse. Okay. Have you heard of that? Where you where you like calling saying it's got a perfect game going and immediately he gives up a hit? Yes. Or okay. He hasn't missed a putt within three weeks, three feet all week, and all of a sudden he can't putt worth a damn. Absolutely. And this is why I wish that article that had talked about how well the loony seemed to be doing didn't get published. We should have just gone, shh, don't say anything about it. <laughs> don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. And unfortunately, I didn't really care what it did for the first 20 days. We have two events, not one, but two events that could change the trajectory of that loony dramatically. I'm going to start with the second one. I know you want to talk about Trump, but I'm going to start about the second one, which nobody's really paying any attention to, and that's going to happen on Saturday, Saturday the 21st. OPEC is meeting in Vienna. OPEC again. Now, OPEC, good friends in OPEC, uh, had said at one point in 2016, as of November 30th, we're going to cut back production. But when they got to November 30th, they said, well, I know we're not cutting back production now. We're going to cut back production on January 1st by 1.3 million barrels because it's our goal to drive the price of oil to $60 a barrel. So January 1st has come and gone, and I don't know, did anybody cut anything? So on Saturday, we're going to hear, did anybody cut anything? Apparently, Saudi Arabia cut some things. But they may have cut not from the level they were supposed to. In other words, in the month of December, everyone pumped like mad because they wanted more cash. And if you cut from the high, you actually don't get to where they were supposed to be. So we're going to hear that. If you've been paying attention to oil prices, you'll see that the price of a barrel of oil is still stuck around $52. And in fact, today dropped to 51 in anticipation of this meeting. And I'm sharing all of this with you because our dollar is highly tied to oil. Right. We've talked about that many times. And we've talked about this OPEC because the OPEC situation goes, as you say, goes back quite a ways. We've been waiting for this. Well, and they've said it three previous times and three previous times they didn't do it. So they're kind of like the boy who cries wolf. We're going to cut. We're going to cut. Prices go up a little bit because, oh, my God, look what's going to happen. And then they never do and it comes back down. So... That alone could send our, our loony in the other direction. If, on the other hand, we find that they really are cutting back production and they really are moving the price of oil towards $60, then I, I think it's quite possible the Canadian dollar could hit $0.80. Cents. But if it doesn't happen, then we're going to go back down below 75 I think that's pretty confident. Now, the event you want to talk about is tomorrow, and that's Donald Trump. And God bless Donald Trump. He's a gift that keeps on giving he, he grabs that damn phone of his and tweets incessantly, and no one knows what to make of those tweets. So yesterday, Wednesday, Donald, in one of his 140-character rants, said something to the effect of, you know, I think the American dollar is too strong. This is what's hurting our trade. The American dollar is too strong. And kind of like the king's edict, suddenly everyone said, oh, yeah, 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 maybe it is too strong. Now, why am I sharing this with you? The value of a currency, especially the Canadian currency, we get fixated on in American dollars. If you can think of it like a two-horse race, 
if the Canadian dollar goes up, does that mean our horse is stronger, or is the other horse falling back? And what we think, why we thought the Canadian dollar was going up was it looked like the American dollar was weakening. Donald Trump seemed to want to weaken it, and if he weakened it, then our dollar would gain, our horse would gain in the race, and we'd be higher. Now, while that's what he said yesterday, all week long, in fact, his various secretaries of this and secretaries of that have been grilled on, on Capitol Hill in Washington, and his uh, Treasury Secretary said, I don't think the American dollar is uh, too strong at all. I, I think it's got room to, to go in the other direction, get stronger. And so, lo and behold, a day after they write the story, our dollar fell again today, fell about a whole penny today, because suddenly we thought we were gaining, and now it looks like the Americans want to kick their horse into high gear and run away from us. Now, all of this, Scott, is because he's not the president yet. His cabinet is not in office. The minute they get uh, inaugurated, which is roughly noon tomorrow, and then, <laughs> then I love this as well, Donald's going to be inaugurated. He's going to have all the parties tomorrow night. Then he's taking the weekend off. And I think to myself, do you understand you don't take a weekend off? You're president constantly. But anyway... His work is going to begin on Monday, and that's what we're going to have to watch closely is what does he do first, what does he do second. He has threatened all kinds of things, like, for instance, big tariffs uh, on foreign-made products, which could shake our economy to the ground. I, and I don't want to overstate this, but if he gets this bright idea that anything made in Canada should have a 35% tariff on it when it enters the United States, it would be absolutely disastrous for us. Our prime minister doesn't know what to do. Our ambassador doesn't know what to do. No one knows how truthful or not truthful he's going to be. So all the fun stuff we've had for the first 20 days in January could fall apart by Monday if Donald Trump turns out to be some evil ogre in disguise. There's a bunch of stuff, and we don't have a ton of time, but there's a bunch of things I want to just touch on there. First of all, first of all, very quickly, why, why would he say that the U.S. dollar is too high? What would be the advantage of lowering the dollar from his perspective? American goods cheaper in the world market and they would sell more. So he wants to be the growth president. To make America great again and get jobs, we need more orders for American goods. What can we do? Well, one is to make foreign goods more expensive in the United States by putting a tariff on them. And if at the same time we cut the American dollar, it makes our goods cheaper in the world market. Put them together, you're going to have a big stimulating effect to the American economy. All right. And so by, if he was to do what you suggested then and uh, put all these tariffs on, clearly, well, there's two different stories here. For our perspective, it would be d dangerous. It would be bad. Honestly, though, if he, he is the American president and if he were to put tariffs on, does it have the potential to stimulate his economy, even if it's hurting ours? Yes, absolutely. And so another interesting question with these tariffs is, would it be universal? So he talks like it's universal, but when asked to give an example, he cites putting a tariff on Chinese goods or Mexican goods. And even though he said he wanted to renegotiate NAFTA, he's never really mentioned it in the context of Canada. It's always in the context of Mexico. So conceivably, he could say, oh, yeah, I forgot about Canada. Yeah, we won't put any tariffs up there. We're just going to put them over there on Mexico, another one of his walls, so to speak. When it comes to cars specifically, if he wants to help, really doing this to Canada doesn't help because we have so much that moves back and forth across the border. His big concern really should be somebody like Japan. Is he going to take them on? They're the number three economy in the world. Is he going to go after Korea? We just don't know. Okay, so what, Marvin, what are we looking for? Because as of tomorrow, as you said, um, or Monday, whichever, um, but as of sometime in the next couple days, few days, we are going to be looking for signs for flashcards for whatever you want to call it yeah. to see what's going to happen what are you looking for what's this what are the things specifically right off the bat that you would think are going to be good tea leaves to be watching for to see a what he's going to do to his economy and b what he's going to do to ours mm -hmm. so two different kinds of things you can do in the united states one is to pass laws one is what's known as executive orders the president can sign an executive order with no support from the house or the senate if he wants to pass a law, like, for instance, break up NAFTA, he needs the House and Senate to do it. So he says that in his first week he's going to do 100 presidential orders. So I'm going to look at every one of them. Is he going to sign a presidential order, you know, and just fill in the blank. He wants to repeal Obamacare. Is he going to go after ISIS? Is he going to go, what, what are these things? And I, I don't want to tell you there's any one specific. I'm just going to look at each and every one of them and say, how does this one affect us? How does this one affect us? The other question is going to be, he claims that he's going to use the supermajority he has, 
because he's a Republican president and there's a Republican majority in the House and in the Senate, what bills are they going to start to introduce? They won't get them passed, but what bills? And those will be the more substantive things on trade. As a president, you can't do all that much on trade. It's really the bills that affect trade, and I'm going to be looking for those. But truthfully, Scott, I have no idea what's going to come out of the hopper first. And knowing Donald Trump, we'll be shocked at whatever it is. Does this mean that beginning Monday morning when the stock market opens that we are going to see wild fluctuations based on every little suggestion? You could. So it's a very jittery stock market. If they like something, one day it could go up 100 points. If they don't like something, the next day it could go down 100 points. And I think it's going to be very volatile through the months of January, February, and March until we begin to see a pattern. Is there a constant stream, a predictable stream? Had Hillary Clinton been elected or Bernie, for that matter, or, or even another one of the Republicans, I think we could have predicted with some certainty what they were going to do. Donald's a loose cannon, and he fires from all directions, and that's what we don't know. What's he going to do first? How's he going to do it? We're all on pins and needles watching. Let me take the unpopular view right now that flies in the face of what pretty much everybody that I hear is talking about. What if Donald Trump does something beneficial or helpful to the economy? What could he do that all of a sudden up here we are saying, holy cow, that really helped us? Mm -hmm. Well, if he grows the American economy, that's great for us as long as he doesn't stop us from participating in it. So if he does put up some walls to trade, but they affect China or they affect Mexico, and they don't affect us, because we are the United States' single biggest trading partner, if they start to be buy more goods and be better, be more prosperous, that will inevitably spill up to us as long as he doesn't build some kind of a trade wall against us. So I wish him all the well. I hope he does stimulate the American economy. I, I'd love to see it grow 3 4%. If it started growing at that rate, our economy would grow it two and a half, three percent, and that'd be great for us as long as we got to participate in that American prosperity. And remember, NAFTA still exists. He cannot rip it up. He needs the House and the Senate to do that. So in theory, because the border is porous with trade, we should be able to participate in it, but then we'll see whether or not he's trying to ban NAFTA. Those things, though, are down the road. What will you be looking for, if anything, Monday or Tuesday for immediate impact on Canada, if anything? Well, the biggest thing that he says he's going to do, much like Justin Trudeau talked about, is a major infrastructure investment. He's complained about the state of airports and roads and so on and so forth. He says he wants to go out and borrow a trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars, and invest in that. And if he starts to spend that kind of money and we can participate in some of that renewal, that's great news. To have our nearest neighbor wanting to go on a spending spree, they're bound to get some Canadian stuff in there somewhere. Last thing, um, there are a lot of people listening who will be at some point this winter going on vacation, uh, many of them south or at least out of the country. So American dollars are going to be required. If you were one of those people, and you may well be, um, would you be going out tomorrow before he's inaugurated and buying your American cash? Or would you be saying, no, you know what? I think by Monday, uh, we're going to get a better deal on American money. What's going to happen, do you think, to our dollar right off the bat? Right. So I'm not a believer in trying to time the market to figure out exactly what moment of what day to buy it. I'm going to buy my American currency. And yes, I am planning to head south to the United States at some point. I'm, I'm likely going to put it off until I know, have a better sense of where everything's going. If you like the exchange rate today at around 75 cents, stock up. If you say, well, I'd really like to see it get closer to 80, weight, understanding it could go down closer to 70. That's the risk you run, and we just, we just don't know. So watch. Watch every day. Track what's going on. In fact, imagine a trading day is having two halves. We can have one thing happening in the morning, and then it can reverse itself in the afternoon to try to time that market. I, I just don't think there's a way to win that. He's just too damn unpredictable. The one thing we can say... Whether I mean, for people who have money in, invested, I suppose it could be a jittery time because they're not really sure. It could be a great time or it could be a disastrous time. But we, we will be, I am guessing, even the people, Marvin, who have not traditionally been stock market and business watchers, and I count myself really among that. I have a lot of other things I pay attention to. I have a feeling a lot of us are going to be watching the markets and watching business stuff a lot more closely, especially in the short term, to see what's happening. Absolutely. You know, we are now, we are sitting front and center to one of the best reality TV shows you've ever seen in your life. Which way it's going to go, who he gives a rose to, who he doesn't love, who he votes <laughs> off the island, I, I, you know, who knows. And so we're in for this show, at least possibly. He could come back and surprise us all by being a rather bland and nondescript president. 
you just don't know what you've got. He's never held office before. He's never governed before. We just don't know what the hell we're in for here. I had no idea you were so up on all your reality show catchphrases. You see, yeah, yeah, I know this. By the way, your quiz question, I'm sure the answer is Timon and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa, I'm sure yeah, of it. I think you're probably right. I'll, I'll pass that along pass to Luke. Along, would you? Marvin Ryder of the DeGroote School of Business, thank you so much for the time tonight. Always appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, I hope that helps. I hope that helps at least a little bit understand where the dollar may or may not be going. So here's the problem with this. Here's the tricky part. Generally, when I have Marvin on, he can give you a pretty decent guideline. You know, okay, probably it's going to do this, but there's a chance it'll do this. So judge, gauge yourself accordingly. We don't know. We don't know. And the thing to remember about all this, and I caution, I say this often now, I'm not betting on Donald Trump being a good or a great president. But the one thing everybody has already decided ahead of time that he's going to be a disaster. We have to at least see what he's going to do before, I think, before we make that kind of judgment. I'm not, I'm not betting my mortgage on him being fantastic, but I'm also not selling off everything in anticipation that the world is going to come to an end. I think we at least have to wait and see what the early moves are that he makes before we leap to those conclusions. And we'll see. If if he's true to if he's good on his word, we'll see that very very quickly. As Marvin just said, we'll start to get indications of what's going to happen and where things are going to go, and it won't be too long down the road. Tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, the end of next week, we'll have some hints. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Yesterday, mid morning, the NHL's central scouting department, which is a a, a, basically a universal scouting service. All the teams have access to it, and they all contribute money, so they have scouts who work for the league, put out its list of its mid-season rankings of players to watch for that are going to be, in all likelihood, drafted next year, and what order they think they may go in. They rank all the players, Canadian, or North Americans and Europeans, skaters and goalies. So it's not a completely numerical list. There's four different lists, but on... The North American skaters list coming in at number 19 is the guy who, when you go down to watch a Bulldogs game, wears number 18 for the Hamilton Bulldogs. That is Matthew Strom, who is a second-year winger with the team. It's the highest rating ever for a Hamilton Bulldog player in the two years they've been here, which is, um, which is nice, but not a surprise, I don't think, to anybody. Matthew's been a kid who's been on his way up, and he joins us now. Matthew, how are you tonight? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations. That's the, I, I think that's a nice thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and thank you very much. How did you, when you saw that, and I'm assuming you did see it, either someone told you or you heard that it was coming out and checked, how did you feel when you saw 19? Uh, I think that's a huge honor, and I, uh, I mean, I was sitting in class, and my mom texted me, and then my brother texted me right away, and I went to luck, but yeah, just being number 19 on a list with so many great players, it's an honor. Now, when you see yourself in that spot, do you honestly, do you say, wow, that's fantastic, number 19, or do you say, okay, that's that's okay, but I got some work to do because I would like to finish higher than 19? Uh, obviously, I think you're going to say you have to put, put in more work, and I agree with what you said. I think, yeah, I think that I saw it, and it's great, and I took it in for a little bit, and then when I got to practice that afternoon, I was all ready to work to keep going up that ranking. You go to You go to Ancaster High School, right? Yes. Okay, so you're sitting, and what grade are you in now, grade 11? 12. Grade 12, okay, so you're sitting in class and the rankings come out. Other people also have smartphones. Did anyone at school who was not a member of the Bulldogs team, did anyone say anything to you yesterday? No, I, no nobody did. I was just, uh, I'm in a class with Mackenzie Entwistle and Riley Webb, and they both looked at it, and I told Mackenzie congrats, and he told me congrats, and no, nobody else did. Do you think, that, I mean, everybody in school knows who you guys are, knows you play for the Bulldogs, right? Or is that a secret? No, I think everybody knows that. And so do they ever talk to you about hockey, or is it kind of just, oh, we're going to leave you guys alone? Uh, sometimes. I think that, uh, you know, we make friends in class who we sit beside and that stuff. So I think that, yeah, there's always talk about some hockey, but, I mean, I think they know and they respect enough that we have hockey a lot in our life, so I think they try and get away from that. You, um, I can't imagine there 
have been too many high school classrooms, though, that have two guys who are in the top 35 on NHL Central scouting list come out well, who are sitting there together. Yeah, <laughs> There no, can't be very many. What class was it, by the way? English class. Were you paying attention to English, honestly, or were you paying attention to the Central scouting list for that particular class? No, I was paying attention to English <laughs> class. I think that... Uh, I know my mom would be happy. School's <laughs> the biggest thing here. So, well, and let, let's be—I want to be fair to you, so people know this—that you're not just a hockey guy. You were—was it October that you were the uh, OHL's academic player of the month? Uh, I think it was November. November. It was right. one of those months. But you know what? That no, it, I mean, it shows that you're when you say you're paying attention in class, you're actually paying attention in class. You're not just—you're uh, not just blowing smoke. And good for you. Um, the OHL list, by the way, I wanted to ask you this. The OHL list, when you were coming out of minor midget, uh, they also have a central scouting department, but their lists are never made public. They are just kept within the team. These ones, of course, for the NHL, this is very public. Which one do you prefer? Um, I think you have to take both into account. I think that the OHL draft, it's when you're 15 in your minor midget year, I think that's the biggest thing you're looking forward to is on draft day, seeing where you're going to go. But obviously this is the NHL, one of the best hockey leagues in the entire world. So I think that they're both very special, but I think this one has a little bit more meaning to it. But you didn't know, I mean, you, you may have had some hint, but with this one, you have maybe a rough idea of where scouts see you may be going. With the OHL, did you have really any idea what number you were going to go in the draft? Did you really know where you fit into the pecking order? No, I had no idea. I think that, uh, I mean, obviously there's some talk just like now, but there's no specific list there. You don't really get any hints on where you're going to go. So, no, going into that, I had no, I, no idea where I was going to end up. And now I think knowing where you kind of have a rough idea, it's, I mean, you kind of got to look at it, and then you kind of got to forget about it. I think that when the next ranking comes out, you just want to be even higher than you were on this one. I pointed out in the paper today, and I and I, I I believe this that it's to me it is um, it can't be easy. You're I mean you're 18. I know you're an adult now, but you just turned 18. And I'm wondering, Matt, does does it ever get? Do you ever get used to it? Because you're under scrutiny all the time. Every time you step on the ice, you are being watched, and you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And d- does that ever go away, or is that always on your mind that every single game, every single shift, someone's watching you? Uh, I mean, I'd try and forget about it, but I think that it happened to both my brothers. And since because, because I have both of them, I think it's, they're going to be even more eyes on me. But I think, uh, I mean, I, I love when people watch me. I think I can just keep proving people wrong if they have any doubts or I can just keep giving them new opinions on myself. Do you remember how old you were the first time you realized that a scout was there and watching you at a game? Uh... I'm sure in uh, younger ages they have minor midget games after us, so I'm sure that they were probably there at a young age but not really looking, just maybe just watching. But I don't really know the specific age or game that the first one I knew was there watching me was at. So, I mean, knowing that you're being watched and knowing that this is what you want to do with your life, you want to follow your brothers and you want to become a pro, for you, is hockey fun or is hockey a business? Is hockey all about work right now, or is it still a fun game? I think I look at it both ways. I think that, I mean, obviously, hockey's the thing I love most in the world, and I think that I want to make that something that I do for a living. So I think that, you know, maybe when you're at practice or at the end of practice, you have a little bit of fun, but during practice and during games, it's all business. Okay, so uh, let me go back to the list just for a second because, um, again, I don't know if you saw it today, but uh, Ben Gleason, your teammate, was talking to Terry Pekoski, who covers the Bulldogs for The Spectator. Um, he was on the list last year and ended up not being drafted, and it was d- tough for him. I understand that. And so he says, you know what, I, I was on the list, never got drafted, so he, he thinks the lists are, in his words, a bunch of bullcrap, <laughs> which I thought was a great quote. Um, but do you get what he's saying? That I mean, I suppose the list is great. It's great to be on there, but it doesn't, I guess, really mean anything at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I talked to him when he was at the draft and after it, and I talked to him almost every day about it, and I think that, you know, I honestly think he could be right, but, I mean, 
obviously it's nice to be on there, but that's just a general general group's opinion. It's not one specific team, so you never really know what one specific team is looking for or if they're looking at you at all. So I think that, yeah, the list is it's nice to be on, but I think that you just obviously you're going to look at it and obviously you're going to dwell on it for a little or uh, keep that in your mind for a little bit. But I think that I know uh, when the game starts tomorrow at 7.30, I believe I'm going to be all business and wanting to get up higher on that ranking. Do you ever, do scout, are scouts allowed to talk to you as an OHL player? Do you hear from any NHL scouts? Uh, it's normally through the team or through my agents. I'd maybe a few direct, but other than that, not really. So do you have a sense, because, well, let me, let me get right to it, and you know where I'm going to go with this, because you've lived through it, and, and i got to tell you, um, I think because of the name on the back of your shirt, for sure, because you've got two brothers who have already gone through this, but you get a lot of attention, and some of it is very positive. You were the intermission feature on the national game last week, and some of it is a little rougher than that, and there was a magazine article about you that, you know, I, it was pretty blunt, and it was pretty harsh in a lot of ways that came out earlier, and, and I mean, is it is it easy to deal with that stuff? Again, you're 18. And I know you're an adult, and I know that this is what you've chosen, but I'm wondering if it's easy when you hear scouts, either even if it's not them saying it directly, or you hear other people saying things that are, you know, a little critical at times. Is that easy to take? Uh, I think it's a little hard, but I think, or I know that I have my parents, both my mom and dad, and both my brothers, and also my grandparents, and my coaches, my teammates, my agents who... You know, everybody saw that article, and I'm pretty sure everybody who's very important in my life just texted me saying, we know that's not you. We know that you're going to do great. Just forget about that. So I think, yeah, it is a little hard when there's a lot of things written about you, but I think that I have a great supporting staff, both in Ancaster and Hamilton and at home in Mississauga. I think that everybody's on my side and my family and my friends, so I think that I'm going to listen to them and just use advice that they give me. I guess it's it's the pro and the con of having a famous last name, right? Because if you didn't have the last name Strom, that article never gets written. But if you don't have the last name Strom, maybe some scouts don't come and watch you because they're not as familiar with your name. Yeah, exactly. I think it, uh, I mean, I always say it's a good thing to have that. I think that <laughs> having people, more eyes on you, it's better. And then if there's something like that written about you I think that because your last name I guess you kind of have a lot of a lot a lot of people on your side and just telling you not to listen to it so it's great to have support like that is it ever though Matt is it ever in your mind a burden to have the last name Strom and I don't mean that you don't love your family or don't love your brothers or your parents or anything but there are expectations when you've got a name on the back of your shirt that a guy who's played in the NHL has and a guy who was the captain of the world junior team has there has to be some expectations that other guys don't get yeah I think there are some expectations but no I think that I mean I wouldn't want any other last name I think that it's from my personal standpoint I think it's all positive I think if somebody writes something about me, I just take it as uh, momentum and just try and get better. And I think just using that as motivation to get better, it's a big thing that I've learned growing up. Truthfully, though, and I'll leave it after this, but is, has there ever been a day that you said, oh, you know what, for one day, I wish I could go on the ice without a name maybe on the back of my shirt at all, just so I could be judged entirely on my own merits rather than as compared to my brother's? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that whoever watches me know that I'm a different type of player. So I think that I've identified myself as a different type of player as them. So, I mean, putting on that jersey, obviously the logo on the front is more important than the name on the back, but I don't think I'd ever want that to change. Well, and you know, and the good side of all this, I suppose, is if things, as I mentioned in the intro before I brought you on here, um... If things go as planned, and they certainly look like they're heading in that direction, and you get drafted and you sign a contract with an NHL team, uh, NHL players, you know, they, they do okay in life. They, they make okay money. I'm guessing that, I'm hoping anyway, that at least Ryan on your birthday and Christmas has been very generous with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really generous. I think when he sent his first contract, I think I was 12 maybe, and, and my other brother was 14, and... I remember him coming home that year from Niagara because he got sent back with 
brand new iPads, and then for our birthdays, we got Beats headphones. So nice. Yeah, they've always treated me really good, and I think that when I sign my contract, I'm going to have to do something special for both of them. Just got a couple of minutes left here, but you had, and it didn't work out, but you, your one opportunity to play against Dylan. Ryan, of course, is not in junior. He's not eligible anymore, but Dylan is back with Erie, and you guys could have played each other uh, over the Christmas holidays, but he was up with the World Juniors, so you missed that. Was that was that a regret of yours that you never got to play against him? Uh, or would that have been really bit, hard? Yeah, and we missed last year because of the same thing, but I know I want to play against him one day, and I guess the only way that's going to happen is going to be in NHL, so I'm just going to work extra hard so one day I can hopefully play against both of the brothers. Honestly, would you, if, if you if he was on the ice with you and he was in the corner, would you have drilled him? Yes, I would have gone as hard as I could at him. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that may have happened a few times as kids in the basement playing mini sticks or something. Yeah, for sure. And if it was me in the corner, I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> well, it is... Um, it's you know what I I said it in the piece that I wrote today and I say it to you personally you know you're very mature about all this because I I can't imagine it's as easy honestly as you, as you make it sound uh, because it is challenging there's a lot of stuff that gets written a lot of stuff that gets said and you know what it, that may be a lot easier than uh, than I'm thinking it is but I, I'm I'm guessing it's not I think I think you make it sound a little more like that uh, Matthew Strom really appreciate the time today congratulations on the list and we'll um, we'll keep watching. Thank you very much. That is uh, number 19 on NHL Central Scouting's list. The highest Hamilton Bulldog ever so far. So far. Matthew Strom. <laughs> ever makes it sound like it was more well, than two years. No, it's two years. <laughs> I mean, so, but as I say, so far. But yes. you know what? I, I give the kid credit. And he is a kid. He's just turned 18 years old. And it's, I have a, it, to me, Luke, this whole thing, I, I'm not feeling sorry for him. And I'm not treating him like a child, but it is rather weird. When the AHL Hamilton Bulldogs are here or mm-hmm. the NHL guys are there, they are grown men, they are professionals, and you can be, it, 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 to me, it's just a little bit different. There's something a little bit different about talking to kids who are 17 and 18 who are not professionals, who are still developing, and who are in high school. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about the Sportsnet article, and, and I generally like Gare Joyce's writing. He's the one who wrote it. And in fact, when it comes to writing articles about prospects, he actually has a lot more experience than most because he spent a year as a scout uh, for Columbus uh, probably about 10 years ago. So he does kind of know what he's talking about. Yeah, writing about. a book. Yeah, a great book. But what's odd to me is that the the like the lead quote that he has, the the big one from, one, uh, from a scout, an Ontario-based scout is what he refers to, is that... They say that Matt's skating could keep him out of the league. His brother, Dylan, wasn't a great skater in his draft year. This is an exact quote. But you had a sense that it was a matter of strength. It's like, how unfair is that? That they just were like, you know, I think Dylan could get better, but I don't think Matt could get better. Here's the, that's, here's, that's so unfair to him. Here's the issue is that, it, and Matt, I didn't ask him about it because we weren't going into that tonight, but Matt will admit, he has admitted, skating is his weak point, the weak part of his game. He's but not was, hiding that. But it was Dylan's too. No, I know. And so the issue is, is how, how much of a weak point is that? How much are the scouts going to hold that against him? And how much are they worried about that? And you will be able to tell that by where he's drafted. Because based on skill and based on hockey sense, he is easily a top half of the first round player. Without a doubt. How far, well, he may still end up there. But after the halfway point of the first round, you're going to start to get a sense of how it's all. it will be all concerns, if they exist, about skating that will push him down to wherever it is that he ends up going. But again, my point is, it's, it is somehow, it is a difficult, and Terry Pekoski, we do a podcast. You can find it. It'll be on Twitter tomorrow. We talked about this at, at some length, Terry Pekoski from The Spectator. It is a, a unique thing to be talking with kids, with high school kids, young men, in some cases, still boys about their hockey because you don't want to be unfairly harsh to these guys. And and the article that Luke refers to that we were talking about in Sportsnet, I'm not going to argue that it was inaccurate. I don't think it was inaccurate. It's just unusual to have that blunt an article about a 17-year-old kid. Most of the time, almost every time, Kids get the benefit of the doubt. Younger guys, you say, okay, he's still developing. We're not going to put a nationwide story out that 
essentially questions the kid's ability. And again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Gare Joyce. I just thought it was, it felt a little weird. It, it made me feel a little queasy, that particular piece. However, they have, uh, don't interpret it that I'm saying you got to feel sorry for them. They have all the kids, no one's put a gun to anyone's head. They have chosen this life. They've chosen to play in this league and this league is designed to develop people for the NHL. You're going to be scouted. You're going to be critiqued. Just an odd balancing act for sure. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. You may have heard this story from the last few days. There was a incident that was videotaped. We don't even use that anymore. Was filmed, was recorded. Let me choose the right um, generations wording to be able to not sound like I'm uh, talking about someone who brought out a big VHS camera once upon a time. Uh, Somebody recorded an incident on a York region, an Aurora bus that has gone completely viral because it was nasty. It was really nasty. Now, we don't know exactly what began this whole thing. All we know is that when the video picks up, there is a young woman. And when I say young, I would guess she's in her 20s. That would just be my guess from the video that I can tell. I can't really make it out. She's not, I wouldn't think, younger than 20. But she's not elderly or middle age even either. And she is absolutely into it, giving it, giving it to an elderly woman who is sitting on the bus. Now, we obviously can't show you the video. This is radio. We haven't developed that technology yet. Well, we have. It's called television. But we let us play you a little bit of the audio. So you'll be missing some of the visuals, obviously, that shows how angry the woman was. But, Luke, here, let's get the audio going. You can hear a little bit about what was going on in this bus. Get off. Get off? Why don't you get off? Have a conversation with me. You're scared? Are you scared? Are you scared? What, you going to call the cops? I'm going to ask about bitch. That was part of it. And there were other parts, there were a lot more bleeps, a lot more insults. Um, anyway, not a pleasant situation, certainly. And if you were on the bus, here's, here's the question I have for you. If you were in a situation where somebody was going after a senior citizen like that, or anybody, frankly, a kid, someone who was, I don't want to say helpless, that's not the right word. Someone who you would say, no, that, that's just wrong. That's just not right. What would you do? What would you do if you were in that circumstance? If you are driving, if you're riding on an HSR bus and there is someone who begins absolutely berating and insulting and saying nasty things about a senior citizen who is sitting on the bus, what would you do? Would you get in the middle of it? Would you inject yourself into the mix and take part in this thing, would, or would you stand back? I just got a tweet. I can't read the exact words in the tweet because CRTC regulations prevent me from doing it so, but essentially it would be kick the poop out of them. Uh, I'm not sure that, yeah, okay. I'm not sure that is exactly the answer, but well, what would be the appropriate response to this? If you were sitting there and some, you suddenly heard this eruption and you saw what was going on, what is the appropriate response? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Those are the numbers to call. What would you do? Not, not what anyone else should, should do. What would you do if you were sitting on that bus? Luke, you ride the bus. I do. And, if and you I've, saw this, what would you, Luke Vermeer, do in that circumstance? I would, I would first like to start with uh, the person who tweeted in, everybody's a big man on the internet. You wouldn't do that in person. We all know you wouldn't do that in person. Uh, so I have been in situations where there were angry people. Uh, I have not stepped in, uh, if it ever got physical, that's when I would step in. All right. And that's fair. That's fair. And here's the problem with the idea. I would like to believe, I would like to, I have not been in this circumstance. I'll be honest. I would like to believe that if this had happened while I was sitting on the bus, that I would have done something. 
I'm not a small guy. And so I'm not particularly, I don't think I wouldn't be worried unless there was some evidence she was carrying a weapon, which there was no evidence, but I wouldn't be worried about a woman who was half my size hurting me. So I would like to think that I would at least get in the middle, at least engage this person to distract her from the elderly woman who was the victim of this, who was the target of this. I would like to think that I would do something. But here's the problem. We say that, but would we actually do it? I like to think that I would. But until it actually happens, you never know. Annie is on the line tonight. Annie, how are you tonight? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So you're on an HSR bus, you're driving home, you're riding home from work, and this argument thing breaks out in front of you between two people, one who's an elderly woman. What does Annie do? I would pick up my cell phone, dial 911, and call the police. And second of all, I blame the bus driver for not stepping in to taking control of his bus. You know, it's an interesting thing. I, Annie, I don't disagree with you about the bus driver, but for one thing, and the only the only thing that I would qualify that with is I don't know what instructions bus drivers have been given by their organization, by their leaders, by their managers in situations like this. They may be instructed not to get involved so they don't get involved in a massive lawsuit so someone doesn't fall down the steps of the bus they may have been instructed you don't move when that's when these things happen just get help so i uh, if they haven't i would agree with you but if they have then I, I don't know what he's supposed to do well he has a cell phone he can call his dispatch uh, or he's got a radio in the bus he can call for help if he can't do anything if his hands are tied Yep. No, I, I, that is... Poor woman doesn't need to be abused by some little psycho. Would you get up and in, inject yourself yes. between them? Yes, I would. All right. Well, there's one vote for Annie. Thank you for the call. That's uh, that's one vote for getting involved. And, and you know what? We have another tweet, uh, which follows the same pattern. Smack them in the head. And, you know, and same comment. You're a big man on the well, internet. Uh, you know, I. some people... No, here's the thing. Some people would. Some people would. Uh, I'm not sure that that is going to resolve much because now you're going to end up with a brawl and then it becomes perhaps a bigger issue. Well, not perhaps, it does become a bigger issue. But what would, you're listening, you're riding home on the HSR bus. By the way, if you haven't seen this, if you missed the clip we played, go to the Scott Radley Show Facebook page. I've got the video up there. There's a link to the story and you can find the video. You can see this so then you can make your judgment on what you would do. You can watch it and then you can call or you can write radley at 900chml.com. You're riding home on the bus and an elderly woman is being absolutely shredded verbally and threatened somewhat, somewhat, maybe threatened in the sense that she's probably scared about this person. I I, I wouldn't doubt that. She didn't actually say she was going to hurt her, but I think you could infer that she would be threatened by this. What do you do? I don't know from her words though, that she was scared of her because she was giving it back well, she was giving it back as far as saying, get off the bus, get off the bus. She wasn't insulting her back. No, no, you're right. But I, at the same time, And what are you supposed to know. do at that point? If yeah, I, I mean, what did, are you supposed to do? It, it didn't, anyway, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, say that the woman who was screaming is, is in any way absolved for what she did. I'm just saying that the, the elderly woman didn't strike me as, as afraid in that moment. As I said a moment ago, before Annie called, and thank you, Annie, for calling. Anyone else? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. I like to believe that I would inject myself somehow. The problem is, what level of injection do you want to take? If you step up too much and suddenly somebody swings at you, you've got a fight on your hands, and now maybe you've got charges. Now maybe you've got something else going on, and nobody needs that. Nobody wants that. That's not something we want to have to deal with and... and you know, all that kind of stuff that would go along with it. But at the same time, can you possibly just sit there and let an elderly person get chewed out? And when I say chewed out, it's not chewed out like, oh, you know, you, I don't know, what would you say that would be nasty? This is an ongoing berating of this person. And you remember that, remember the story a while ago of the older woman who was on the school bus and all the kids were bullying her and they did a uh, a campaign online to raise funds and she made what, like 600,000 bucks or something. Cause everybody recognized it's so completely wrong. And I would say this, if it was an elderly woman or an elderly man on the bus, same thing. It's so completely wrong. What would you do? Dominic joins me on the line. Dominic, thanks for calling tonight. How you doing? 
Not bad. How are you? I'm good. So let me ask you the same question. You are on an HSR bus, and this breaks out in front of you. What does Dominic do? I would have put a stop to it. How? How? I would have just stood in front of the lady, and she wasn't acting like much of a lady there. She wants to use that language. I use that same language right back at her and throw it right in her face. There was nothing physical going on there, but what that was, if it was, if she was doing that to another person the same age as her, maybe I wouldn't get involved. But to do it to that elderly lady, that was bullying. So it's no different when you see a big kid bullying a little kid. And what do we teach our kids these days? It's a, you stand know what? For people, stand up for your friends and put a stop to the bullying. Dominic, you make a good point because there is, I, I agree with you, there is a difference between two people who are equal who are in a disagreement, uh, and two people who are at a vastly different level, perhaps, and that looks like it in this particular case. Dominic, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. All right, thank um, you. So there's, there's two votes for get involved. I just want to quickly, uh, I don't think age should have anything to do with oh, it. I, I, I think you're right about if they're equal and they're going back and forth, but if the age is different and it's the same situation, the same words that are going back and forth, I think you should still step in. If you're going to step in for the old lady, you got to step in for the young lady if if it's the exact same situation. Um, okay, all right. I, I'm not... Uh, it becomes an interesting scenario. Do you have to pick and choose who your quote-quote victims are. Do you have to pick it? Would, would I do it for one person, but not for another? See, I actually think I would do it differently. I think if it was an elderly woman or a child uh, or someone who was clearly appearing to be fearful, I would say, yes, I would like to believe. And again, but, let, but me, that's let me more stress my point. If, if you, because you've said that you believe the woman was scared, the, the older woman seemed scared. Why does it matter how old she was then? That That's what I'm trying well, to say. Okay, all right. Um, I would like to believe, and I go back to this point, I would like to, I've never been in this circumstance. I never have. So I can't say for certain, but I like to believe that if this happened, I would not sit there frozen to my seat. What's interesting to me about this, and it raises a whole other issue, is what about the person who was videotaping this or recording it? I, I'm of two minds of this because the first one is why did, if, if it was worthy enough of your attention to record it, why did you not get involved and try and stop it? That's the first thing. But on the flip side, if he hadn't, or she hadn't recorded this, we would never have known about this. And it's probably a bigger issue than if it had just been something that got sorted out on the bus. What do you think about that? If you were standing there, would you turn on your phone and record it or would you get involved? 905 645-3221 or star 9900. What do you do if this situation arises? You know, there used to be a TV show. I don't know if it's still on. I think it was on ABC. I can even see the guy who was, and I think the name of it was, What Would You Do? And it, was, it put people in different circumstances with challenging issues, with, with things that were going on that were uncomfortable circumstances to see how people would react. If someone in front of you dropped a hundred dollar bill on the ground, would you pick it up and run up and hand it to them? You go, Oh, a hundred dollar bill. Good for me. That's exactly what this kind of thing is to me. This moment is a test of everybody else around. This is a test to see whether you are engaged as a citizen or a bystander. And if that sounds lofty and you know, too flighty that, well, it's just a squabble on a bus. No, it's not to me. It's not to me because you have a weaker person who is being verbally attacked and you don't know what else may have happened because thankfully this thing ended without anything going on. But you don't know that when this is happening. Lady who's doing the screaming, for all you know, as this is going on, could have suddenly lunged forward and gotten aggressive. We don't know that. You don't know at the moment what's going to happen. I like to, I think you have a responsibility I, to somehow get in, if only to stand between her, to, no. to, to shield that person, because you know what? I'll let her scream at me. I'll let her scream at me because I'm not scared of her because she's a lot. Now, what would it have been here? I mean, fair enough. We go through all these different circumstances. What would have happened if it was a 350 pound bodybuilder? Would I have been as quick to say I would jump up and stand between them? That may be a slightly different scenario. I mean, I'm being very honest here. Am I gonna am I gonna get between a guy who could beat my lights out? This was a case where that wasn't, so I wouldn't have any problem. And if it was if it was a physical attack, 
and it was someone who could beat my lights in, I like to still think that if someone was truly a person getting beaten to a pulp, that I would still get involved even if there was risk to myself. I, I, I'm not saying I would. I'm saying I like to believe that I would. That would be my thought going in, that I would like to say that's what I would do. Until it happens, you never know. Tim writes in, uh, that's elder abuse and she should be charged by the police. It's a chargeable offense. Police have a whole division for it. Interesting. I mean... I, do, I don't believe that counts as elder abuse. I, I'm, I don't know, again, the, I mean, I'm not as familiar enough with the elder abuse law to know whether verbal abuse would actually get you a charge. I mean, verbal abuse, I believe, can, but I think in that case it has to be a sustained uh, pattern. Yeah, I have no idea if that would actually lead to a charge. I'll be honest. Tim, I appreciate the tweet, but I'm I'm not I can't speak to that legally. Go watch the the video. It's a, I say it's I put it on the Scott Radley show Facebook page. There's a link to it there. You can go through the the story and you can see the video. You can watch the video. You can decide for yourself what would you have done. Or and here's the final option. Maybe you watch this video and you say, "You know what?" If I get involved in this, all I'm going to do is accelerate it. I'm going to throw gas on the fire because this thing looks like it's just a squabble. It's mean. It's nasty. It's insulting. Some of the stuff that was said, we bleeped out most of the parts. Some of the stuff that was said was nasty. That That's exactly it. You're just adding another person to this disturbance. When you step, when you step in between or whether you restrain. If it, if it's getting physical, absolutely, you should step in, I would step in. But having seen verbal altercations before, never from someone to a senior, but honestly, most often from people to bus drivers, which honestly the bus driver is pretty helpless too because of the the legal issues. They're not really allowed to do anything. And there have been times where I've thought about stepping in, but it just adds another person to the issue already because it it, it doesn't help. Unless things get physical. See, I, I disagree in the sense, if you step in between and you you provide a shield of kind, you don't have to begin then engaging in the war of words. You can just be a mute wall that shows, you know what? This is done. But this is done. We're, we're done here. Get off the bus. Uh, and that's all you have to say. But even, even as someone get off the bus. who is a very large person, I don't. Th- I think that has a chance of escalating it towards physical because when you are getting in between the person who they in between the angry person and the person they want to berate, you are risking them viewing you as an obstacle to get out of the way. And to be honest, if I stood in between and then was pushed, it's gotten physical, and then that's when I'm going to step in. I'm not going to fight somebody. I'm not going to punch him in the face. But that's. I'm going to restrain them or do my best to make sure that it doesn't go any further than that. But the point is that when you step in, especially when you are a large person and are blocking their point of view, if they are so angry, they're not thinking straight because they're probably not thinking straight at this point. That's something they may do. Scott Radley Show Facebook page. Go watch the video. You'll see it right there. Uh, Watch it. Send me a note. Radley at at 900CHML.com. What would you have done? What would your response have been if you were here? And you know what? Nothing is an acceptable answer. If, if it was nothing, if you feel that this was much ado about nothing, that, that is okay too. Let me know. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.